This is TSFPN.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network. You found the best podcast in the universe. It's November 25th, 2005, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to this 11th special edition of The Secrets. As I promised last time, I'll cover a bit more about career building, including how to find a publisher. Publishing considers itself a business, but it's run by rules that you really don't learn in business school. At the point where MBA and art meet, things begin to break down. We'll talk about that and lots more in this post-Thanksgiving episode. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, a science fiction and fantasy novelist, an editor, game and computer game designer, who managed to gain four pounds yesterday. I've had 38 books published, and eight of those hit the New York Times bestseller list. Perchance to Dream is my latest book. It's a collection of short stories, including a previously unpublished story set in the world of my Dragon Crown War fantasy novel series. The Secrets Podcast is an audio companion to my writing newsletter, which is also called The Secrets. You can learn more about the newsletter at my homepage at www.stormwolf.com. Download the sample issues today and decide if it's worth a dollar an issue to focus your writing on success. Back issues are also available, and the Hurricane Katrina Relief Package deal is still running. The whole idea of a writing career can be confusing largely because terms like writer, author, novelist, and so on are tossed around with no solid definitions. For the purpose of the discussion that follows, a writer is someone who writes, whether or not he's been published. Writing is something a writer does. It's a compulsion. An author, on the other hand, is someone who has written and has the work published. Authors aren't necessarily writers. Lots of folks have books out, but their primary concern isn't writing. It's something else. Someone like Jack Welsh or William Shatner may have books out in his name, but they're not writers. They're authors. A novelist is someone who writes novels. Novelists are to writers what third basemen are to baseball players. It's a position we play. Many writers will be novelists, short story writers, columnists, script writers, and copywriters. As I tell folks, I'll write for anyone who wants to cross my palm with silver. Now that's not wholly true, since many other factors figure into things but it's a lot closer than makes some artistes feel comfortable. Here's a secondary issue that crops up from time to time. Is what we writers do art? This is a tough call for a variety of reasons. First, the way I see it, art is the judgment of a century or so. Look at anything through that filter and see what endures. Very little rises to the top and survives. The closest I think my work will come to be considering art is if some poor grad student a hundred years from now taps me for a thesis. Of course, the only reason to do so is because all the other authors have been taken. If I'm lucky, like most of the other authors in the field today, I'll be mentioned as a footnote in some book about Stephen King. Art and literature are problematic for another reason. Literature, specifically, is an artificial construct of academia. Terry Eagleton makes this very apparent in his book, Literary Theory. In short, and he covers this so much better than I ever could, capital L literature and literary theory originated as and further evolved into a means of social control. Good books were books that reaffirmed the social order, and everyone in society was forced to read these books. 
Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Blink, discusses the science of priming behavior through words, which is what the creation of the literary canon did. A well-educated peasant would be told that he should be happy as a peasant, and because he read this, he was more readily able to enact his role in life. Creepy stuff, I know, but it also works in reverse. I talked to an artist who lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, who grew up in East Germany. She told me that she and a group of friends had journeyed to Prague to see Star Wars, since it was not shown in East Germany. After seeing that movie and finding it full of hope, she and her friends resolved that they would escape Soviet domination and live free. It's a great story, and it's the mark of the good that can be done with writing. Getting back to the point, however, I don't really care if my work is ever seen as literary. I'm an entertainer. If folks learn something, that's a bonus. My job, and it's a job I consider sacred, is to entertain. I get to rescue folks from boredom, or let them decompress after a hard day. I get to see them through hours of being in a plane or a hospital bed. The fact that they choose my story to be their companion in those times is great. Who needs literary accolades when you have that sort of trust? All right, clutch in, shift gears. I recently had a couple of emails that touched on the following question. How do I know if a writing career is what I should be doing? It's a tough call on one hand, and on the other, it's not much of a call at all. If you are a writer, if you scribble notes to yourself and sit down and write stories until you run out of stuff, you're always going to write. The question then is, how do you make the transition from doing whatever it is you do to make a living into making your living from writing? If, on the other hand, you're in love with the idea of being an author, Choosing a writing career is probably the last thing you should consider. As you probably guessed from the last show, actually making a living as a writer is not easy. It takes a certain amount of lead time and luck to get to the point where you can make a good living from writing. And even when you get there, a sales failure or two will sink your career. If you try to grow as a writer and take risks, you could watch your career fall apart. If you take no risks, you could see your audience stagnate, age, and drop away. The first bit of advice writers give to those who want to be writers is this. Don't quit your day job. There's a lot of practical sense there. For example, being as how I turn a year older on Sunday, my health insurance just jumped about 50 bucks a month. I foot that bill myself, and while the IRS is willing to consider half of it a business expense, I still have to write the check each month. Having a job that covers that sort of thing, or a spouse who has such a job, would be very helpful. In addition to that, I never really know how much money I'll make in a year. I can guess, but if a project falls through or royalties are a month late, I can face a budget crisis. I have a publisher right now who hasn't reported royalties to me for a couple of years. And when I ask, I get told, uh, we're working on that. If I push, they stop using me and a hunk of my income goes away. Is alienating them worth it? And how much money will I leave on the table? As important as money is, a job can also give the writer a lot of life experience. All of this stuff comes into play when you're a writer. While I don't model characters on folks that I know, watching how people react in situations lets me know how characters might react. This is very important in making characters real for the readers. As long as the writing experience you give them is genuine, they'll keep coming back. And that's definitely what you want. I don't think writing is a career you choose. I think it chooses you. If you're meant to be a writer, you'll write no matter what. Gradually, as you get better, as you begin to sell work, you'll see income arriving from it. At some point, and it will differ for everyone, 
the opportunity to shift tracks and look at your writing as your primary job will happen. For some folks, it will be after winning the lottery. For some, it will be during that year of severance pay when they part ways with their old employer. Some folks will be fortunate enough that their spouse will have a good enough job to give them the freedom to stay home and explore their dreams. Others will do it on retirement, and some will jump into it far too early, but scramble hard and make it work. You have to go into it with your eyes open. I usually assume that the advance money for any project is all I'm going to get, especially when working with small companies. So I decide if that's worth what I'll have to put into the job. I have something I call the 10-hour rule. I'll work on a job for 10 hours, and then I need to get paid. And yes, there are jobs I'll do for free for friends, but you can also bet that I've seen an angle there which will be to my benefit down the line. A real key to having a career as a writer is persistence. Writing is very much like playing roulette. Every story you write and send out is a chip you put into play. The more chips you have, the better your chances of winning. As long as you keep creating chips and putting them in play, you're in the game and have a chance of hitting the jackpot. And the cool thing about writing is this. No one ever scoops up all the chips. Heck, with magazines and anthologies and game rights and foreign sales, that one chip can win over and over again. If you ever give up on yourself and stop playing, you'll never have a chance at winning. The adjunct to this, and a theme I hit all the time in The Secrets, is that in creating chips, you have to create the best chips you can. You need to constantly grow as a writer. You need to create new characters and explore new situations. If you look at Perchance to Dream, you'll see stories in a dozen different worlds with different characters in all of them. I have worlds and characters that never even made it into that collection, and I'm creating more all the time. I want to be the best writer I can, and by challenging myself, expanding my repertoire, I have more roulette tables on which to play, and I have a chance of creating an impression that will bring readers back to my work by preference. Despite what some folks might think, no writer truly is in competition with any other writer. Folks who like fantasy books will eventually sample everybody. Where we compete is to be the author they go for preferentially. We get their dollars first. And if we do that, our publishers will notice. It's my estimation that the vast majority of books sell 80% of their gross sales in the first two months of publication. If you will, the majority of their sales come with the store's first initial order, and if they're lucky, a reorder. After those first two months, however, sales drop off to a trickle, and within a year or two, the book will go out of print. This is why you can have the very real situation where the first book of a trilogy is no longer available when the third book comes out. The books that defy this model are the ones by authors who challenge themselves and the readers. They continue to sell because the readers think so highly of the books that they continue to recommend them to others. In bookstore terms, we hand sell the books to other readers. Face it, if you're in a bookstore and another patron is moved enough to recommend a book, you know it made a great impression on them. Chances are that you'll buy the book, and if you like it, you'll pass the recommendation on to others. So, if you want to know if a writing career is for you, you have to agree to do several things. First, you have to be very aware of the financial and life realities of the career. Without a year's worth of expense money in the bank, making that jump from working to writing is very difficult. Using that figure as an earmark is, is a good way to go, now understand, while I would love to have that much money in the bank, 
I don't always do it. Sometimes I am left wondering whether or not I'm going to be able to pay the next month's bills. It's just part of the game. Oh, yeah. Has anybody noticed? This is just an aside here. Has anyone noticed that the holiday season is really a 13th month? It has all the outflow and none of the income. It's very, very weird. All right. Back on topic. Sorry about that. Um, The second aspect of a writing career is that you have to promise yourself to constantly push to become better. If you settle, you don't get to become one of the writers who folks recommend to other readers. You'll slip back into the pack and could very well disappear from sight. There's absolutely nothing sadder than talking to an author who doesn't understand why his career momentum has died. Look for new ways to do things, new avenues to explore, new aspects of stories, and you'll not let yourself stagnate. You'll never hear it said of one of your books, Oh, you know his stuff. Read one, you've read them all. If you're willing to work harder as a writer than you've ever worked on anything else, and the financials are in position, that's the time to think about shifting over to your new career. And rest assured, if you are a writer, there will be a time when you make the shift. You'll know when that time is right, and you'll do it. Be confident in that fact, and keep writing toward that day. Okay, another tap of the clutch, another grinding of the gears here. Uh, Last show, I mentioned I'd tell you how to find a publisher. I checked my previous shows, and I actually went over this in special edition number three, but it bears repeating here. So anyone who listened to that one, just consider this a refresher. You start to locate a publisher by first finishing your book, and it's kind of important. Once you've done that, you hand the copy to five or six friends who know the field you're writing in. This is vitally important. Well, I'm sure Aunt Sally would give you great feedback. If she doesn't know the field you're working in, she can't help you find a publisher. You know, let's face it, there are plenty of folks who can eat a meal and enjoy it, but if they've never been in a kitchen, they can't help you figure out how to prepare it. When your friends finish the book and finish praising you for how brilliant you are, ask them to complete the following sentence. In the tradition of... Ask them to name two or more writers they think you most closely approach in style and the subject of what you've written. On the back cover of my novel, Once a Hero, for example, that sentence is completed with the names Robert Jordan and David Eddings. Once you get your lists back from your readers, total them up. Let's say you have Harry Turtledove with four votes, Connie Willis with three, and a few other folks just scattered around down there. You then go to the bookstore and you look at Harry's and Connie's books. You pick out the publishers who handle their work. You can do that for all the other authors on the list, but the high vote getters are the ones you want to focus on. From there, you start doing some research. At the library, you can find Writer's Market for the current year and check out those publishers. You want to learn who the editors are for those lines. Uh, Often you can learn who the individual author's editor is from the acknowledgments in the book. I mention my editors by name and my agents as well. Um, A lot of other authors do that. You'll also want to be looking at the publisher's policies on manuscripts. Some won't take things that are unagented. Some won't take simultaneous submissions. Whatever the rules are, you must follow them. The first test a publisher has for you is whether or not you can follow instructions. Starting a letter to the publisher by saying, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but is a good way to get rejected, not for your manuscript, just for your cover letter. So follow the rules. Very, very important. I'll digress for a moment with a kind of cute story about following the rules. I had talked to Roger Zelazny once, and I knew he was reading for two anthologies. He had asked me to send a story for one of them, and I knew what the subject of the other one was. As I was cleaning up my office shortly after having talked with him, 
I found a story that I'd forgotten about, but would be perfect for that second anthology. So I sent it off to him and I included a self-addressed stamped envelope because that's what you do to get things back. You always include an SASE. And Roger called me up and said he'd take the story that he liked it. And then he just sort of said, and man, you're a professional. You don't need to send me an SASE. Well, it was very nice of Roger, but I was really happy that I'd done it. And you just follow the rules, the common courtesies, and that's the way to do it. Show them that you can play the game. They're more likely to play with you. Okay, when you're researching your publishers, you also want to learn what sort of money they're paying. When sending anything out, I always start with the highest paying market for which the material is appropriate. Once you've done your research then, you package up your manuscript and you send it out to your target market. Why do you start with a house that publishes books by authors that resemble what you've done? Because you know they know how to edit those books, how to promote those books, how to sell those books. Heck, chances are you'd even get one of those authors to write a blurb for your book, which is a great thing. It does not hurt at all. The publisher will even be able to put an ad for your book in the back of another author's work, so you have a chance of pulling crossover readers right from the start. And by the way, the same process for finding a publisher will work out for finding an agent. Track authors, find out who their agents are, go for those guys to get them to agent you. And why? Again, you know they know how to sell those books to publishers who will take them. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of questions and stuff like that. I'm going to hit several really quickly, and then any more you've got, just go ahead on to tsfpn.com, go to the discussion forums, there's a thing, uh, a topic there for the secrets, and go ahead and ask any other questions you've got, and I'll try and hit them in a future podcast. So here we go. First question, what's a cover letter? Okay, cover letter is your introduction to the editors. I always keep them very short and sweet. In the first paragraph, I talk about the story, giving them any relevant information. I mention how long the story is, what genre it's in, and if it's related to anything else that's in print. For example, if it's a story set in the world of a secret atlas, I'd mention that fact. The second paragraph details publication credits. If I've had anything published that's appropriate, I will mention it. If you have no publishing credits that are relevant, just don't do a paragraph two. For heaven's sakes, don't say I've never been published before, okay? They can find that out later and they'll probably use it in marketing. Third, thank the editor in that third graph. I thank the editor for having taken the time to look at the manuscript. I let them know if I've included return postage to get the whole thing back or if I just want them to chuck the manuscript in a recycler. In the package, I include a self-addressed stamped postcard so they can send that back to me when they open up the box and let me know the manuscript got there. It's cheaper to do it with a postcard than a return receipt at the post office. I include a return postage if I want the manuscript back or a business-sized self-addressed stamped envelope for them to send me any correspondence or hopefully a check. Now, just so you know, self-addressed means it's addressed to you and it's got a stamp on it. They put the return address on it, put any correspondence in it, and they send it to you. The fact that you've addressed it doesn't make it self-addressed. It has to be coming back to you. And that may sound silly for some people, but a lot of people never heard of what that actually is. Okay, next question. What's a simultaneous submission? That's where you send copies of the same manuscript to multiple publishers at the same time. 
publishers take a long time to get back to authors. So shotgunning a manuscript out means that, that all that consideration time happens simultaneously, not serially. Only do this if the publishers say they will look at simultaneous submissions. And this is vital here. Be sure to let them know it is a simultaneous submission. If you don't or you send it to guys who don't take simultaneous submissions, they'll reject it. You'll be looked on as an idiot. You don't want that. Next question. How long do you wait before asking a publisher if they're going to take your book? Hopefully, they've sent back to you the postcard to let you know that it got to them. If you, Whether or not they did or didn't. You know, about three months out, you can write them a note asking if the book arrived. Eh, that's okay. About six months out, you could drop another little polite note and ask how things are going. If you haven't heard in a year, you can write them a note and ask for the manuscript back. You know, over a year, I mean, I've heard of things as long as, you know, five years, ten years. I've heard of publishers having books that have already been published by someone else and still never having rejected it. These things happen. You know, just you have to be patient, but not, you know, that patient. I mean, yes, a year does seem like forever. If you've got no patience, a writing career may not be for you. That is, that is one thing about the business, and heck, it's with, really with any business. You wait a long time to be told to hurry up and get something done really quickly. It's just part of life. Instead of worrying about this story or that, just keep turning out new material. Keep creating chips. Keep placing your bets. And you will, I promise you, cash in. Okay, that's it for this edition of The Secrets. Um, I'm Michael A. Stackpole. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to visit www.stormwolf.com to get your sample issues of The Secrets. You can also find out more about uh, Perchance to Dream. You just click on its cover there on the website's homepage. Really gorgeous cover. Podcast, as I mentioned before, also has discussion forums at www.tsfpn.com. Just click through to the Sci-Fi Podcast Network forums. Uh, please feel free to come over there, ask questions, give me more things to answer, participate in the discussions. Um, you know, I've got no idea what I'm doing next week for this show. So your suggestions, your questions can be what actually shapes what goes on. Uh, please recommend the show to other people, you know, and, uh, keep working on your writing. This podcast is copyright 2005, Michael A. Stackpole. <laughs>